This is Secrets to Win Big, your roadmap to sustained growth. Brought to you by Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, brand whisperer, top brand growth driver, and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. Find him at zenmango.com. And now, here's your host, Arjun Sen. Welcome to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen. This is Arjun. I love to win. But what I've found is when you are part of a team and you win big, it puts you on the path for sustainable long-term wins. And to get ideas for that, and the very fact each one of us are different, our journey and our destinations are different, it's a pleasure to get leaders from all over the world and all walks of life to come and share their thoughts and have amazing conversations here. Today, I have been literally could not go to sleep last night. I was that excited about this conversation with Lou Heckler. Lou Heckler, first let me tell you the professional bio that already puts him as one of one, but then I want to share how he gets there. He's a professional speaker at the highest level. Speaker coach who has entertained and informed audiences throughout the world, the US and across the globe for more than 40 years. He is a CSP certified speaking professional. And for those of you who may not understand, it's the higher level. And then among that, he is part of a member of the National Speakers Association Hall of Fame. That makes him one of one. But I want to talk about how I met Lou because that defined this man for me. First time National Speakers Association Influence Conference, I'm going there. And you know, me being five, seven, not that tall, I always aim high. So I wanted to meet some of the highest level people in the organization, knowing fully well, they may not have time for me because you know, I'm sending the messages last second. Lou Heckler responded to me. Yes, he responded to me. And he gave me a time to meet for breakfast. And in the Florida hotel, the breakfast place was a very bizarre place. It was tough to find. And he was there. And what was even more amazing, not only did was Lou there, he was mentally, physically there. Conversation was about me. He inspired me. And at the end of the breakfast, which Lou paid for me, thank you, Lou, he said, let's walk together to the conference. Think about any professional conference you have been there for the first time. If you could walk into that conference with one of the pillars of that organization, now you're connected to that organization forever. So a little more about Lou Heckler is his career started as a news anchorman and reporter for stations in Virginia, North Carolina, and Indiana. After that, Lou was the US Defense Department training specialist during active duty at United States Army. Thank you, Lou, for your service. Really respect and am honored. You were a training director. Lou was a training director at a multi-state broadcasting company. He also was an adjunct faculty, University of Michigan's Executive Education Center for last 19 for 19 years, and also a video essays for national television's PBS program, Nightly Business Report. Incredibly bre incredible breadth of learning, amazing speaker, and thanks to Lou, so many boring speakers 
like us can become better storytellers. Lou, truly an honor to invite you and have you here in Secrets to Win Big. Wow, well, thanks, Arjun. My gosh, what a lovely introduction. And uh, I got tired just listening to my own resume. I don't know. <laughs> That's what happens when you've been at it for a long time, I guess. But um, it's great to be on this program with you. And I certainly have enjoyed your prior uh, episodes, I'll call them. Uh, it's, I, I think, um, the whole concept of looking at ways to win and win big is uh, fabulous. And you've come at it from so many different directions. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And that's what gets me excited, whether it is a 14-year-old or a 17-year-old who is delaying her Wharton admission by a year because of her second startup, okay? And she's raising millions of dollars. It's amazing. And to me, it just fascinates me by saying there's so much to learn and so little time, let's maximize. So Lou, let's jump right in. I really want to follow your career before we get to storytelling because everybody, including me today, we want to know about storytelling, how to be better storytellers. Okay. But let's start by Lou, the anchor man, the reporter in stations in Virginia, North Carolina. What will, you know, share a few key moments from those days and some key lessons and learning that you took from news anchor man that made you better in future. Yeah, thanks. Well, first of all, I had a great opportunity when I was 14, a cousin of mine in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I was living, had been a, a, a reporter for a small little local paper. And he knew I would love to news and that I could write a little bit. So at age 14, I got to start writing for a newspaper, a little weekly paper outside of Pittsburgh. That's where I guess I got the bug to uh, to be in the news business. So I studied it at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. I have a, a double degree in journalism and in uh, radio television. So the greatest thing that happened to me there was I auditioned for uh, a news anchor position when I was 19 years old <laughs> for the state's public television system. So here I am, I'm a freshman in college and I'm on the air twice a day and was for the whole rest of my college career. I mean, what, what an amazing experience that was. And I think, I think the biggest lesson I learned there and in my other news positions was, if you want something, ask for it. People have every right to say no. And there certainly are things I've asked for over the years where people have said no. But I think if you believe in yourself and you believe you have something to contribute, go ahead and ask for it and see what happens. A great deal of the things that happened to me professionally over the years simply came because I took that one extra step and said, may I do that? May I audition for that? May I try out for that? And I think that's, I, the people I've talked to over the years who have also had some success in their life, I think they would echo that. Mm -hmm. Look, what I love is I've heard the statement before that if you don't ask, the answer is no. But what I loved about how you added that excitement to it. Because now it's like that whole excitement, how your eyes lit up as you came closer to the screen to see what happens. Like that extra step, I think that feeling itself is worth it. Yeah, and I think people pick up on that, you know, that it's not like, well, okay, he, th he thinks he can make a few extra bucks, so maybe he'll try out for this job. But it was really something, it had really been my dream I'm one of those unusual people <laughs> in many ways. Uh, when I was eight years old, I can trace it back to being eight years old. I always dreamed of being on television. I was a great fan of, 
of the early comedians, Jack Benny, Steve Allen, Red Skelton, uh, names that people today don't know very well. But I always dreamed of someday having a chance to be on television. And I, I got to do it for about 15 years. It was really a pleasure. And you heard it here first, Lou Heckler, eight-year-old, dreamt to be on TV, created that opportunity for himself, and was a rock star. So, Lou, I think you know, this is the part of your life I did not know, but to me, I was like really blown away and just right away was humbled is, you know, moving to your days as a training specialist in the U.S. Department while being on active duty for United States Army. Yeah. First of all, again, want to be want to thank you on behalf of all of us for your service. Absolutely. What did you learn and take away from service, you know, to during United States Army days that stayed with Lou Heckler and made him better in life ahead? Well, I learned a lot of things, Arjun. Uh, part of it was because, <clears throat> excuse me, I was um, of draft age during the Vietnam War. So I knew when I finished my bachelor's degree that I would be right away considered what they call 1A, eligible for the draft. And it just so happened that my wife was working with a man who had been uh, in the service and now was in the reserves. And he said to me, you know, you're going to get drafted, right? I said, yes. Mm -hmm. He said, let me tell you what to do. And you'll love it and you'll hate it. Mm -hmm. I said, okay. He said, you go down, when you get drafted, it's two years of service. He said, you go down and enlist for a third year. I said, uh-oh, you're right. I don't like it. He said, no, no, you'll love it because when you enlist for a third year, they must give you any school that you ask for. Wow. Ask for the Defense Information School, Fort Harrison, Indiana. It's where they train all the broadcasters, all the all the journalists for the military. Remember, I'm, I've just come off three years on television mm -hmm. as a, while I was still in school. And so I did sign up. There again, I asked again. I asked, could I serve a third year? They gave me the Defense Information School. And immediately, he said, what this gentleman, whose name was Joe Epley, said to me, when they see your experience, they'll probably ask you to stay on as an instructor. And mm -hmm. that's exactly what happened. So I had the chance to step forward, and I did, and I got asked to be an instructor. Now, here's what I really learned in the military. The military does a remarkable job for you if you do a remarkable job for it. If you work as hard as you possibly can, they will give you. I was 24 years old. Yeah, it's 20, yeah 24 years old and was a course director for the enlisted course mm -hmm. in the speech department of the Defense Information School. I was in charge of a department of a school <laughs> at age 24. And, and the Army, all they went, said was, do the job, do the job well. We know you can do it. And I think the fact that these uh, systems were in where people expected excellence from you, and if you delivered excellence, you were rewarded. That later really influenced me when I was managing a bunch of other people because I wanted to be that same kind of, create that same kind of atmosphere for the people with whom I worked. Do a good job and we will open up a jillion opportunities for you. Love that about being in the present, do the job well, deliver excellence and you will get rewarded. You know, 
it just reminds me early days of my career. My impatience was always in my DNA. And one day I was talking to the founder CEO of Boston Market and said, sir, how do you get promoted? Actually, the question I wanted to ask is why am I not getting promoted? <laughs> yes, exactly, right. And he told me this magical one-liner, which never left me. He said, Arjun, do you know how people get promoted? I'm like, no, sir. He said, the right person has to come, will be there at the right time to see you do the right thing. Okay. Can you control who the right person is? I said, no, sir. Can you control when the person comes? No, sir. No. He said, the only thing you control is do the right thing because when that person shows up that day, you should not be caught napping. So to me, I think, you know, your advice of taking it, not just doing the right thing, like deliver excellence at the highest level, I really think is so incredibly important. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think that, um, I think, you know, some people believe that um, it, if I do a good job and I'm just a good boy or girl, uh, things will come along. It certainly helps <laughs> to be a good boy or girl, but I think you have to go above and beyond. You have to be willing to stand out without being arrogant about it, without being over the top about it. And you have to be willing to, to have that confidence in yourself to say, I believe I could do this. Yeah, another wise person in my life, my daughter, you know, when she ran track, she put up amazing effort. Okay? She never got a medal or placed. One time when I asked her, why do you put so much effort? I didn't finish the sentence. I was smart enough to not ask. She said to get my personal best better. Yeah, there you go. And that's what just really felt was this little kid, tiny kid with a big heart runs every time to get her personal best better. Yeah, I like that. And I think one of the things that I take away from that, that I think I've learned over the years is the people who are the most successful, the only person they compete with is right here, yeah. is themselves. Yeah. They're, not, they're not worried about what somebody across the room is doing or somebody down the street is doing or, or the guy or gal in the next desk is doing. They're just trying to work on their own personal best. That's a very good way to say it. Love that. So Lou, now let's look at is somehow, and you know, that was incredible that you taught me that so many people get into training because they look at training to be a profession. You got to training because you were so good in what you were doing. When the normally they actually had to choose who should be the instructor, it's you because it's your action. So let's talk more about training because from US Army, you went back to you know, broadcasting, now you are at a multi-state broadcasting company, directing training, managing others training. So tell me a little more about training. How is training so mm -hmm. strongly connected to Lou and Claire? Well, you know, the company that I worked for, which was a really wonderful company, did what most companies were doing at the time. Mm -hmm. We took our best salesperson mm -hmm. and made him or her sales manager. Mm -hmm. We took our best engineer and made him or her engineering manager. We took our best uh, news person, made him or her news manager. And then what we said, but not out loud was, and this concludes your training. <laughs> In other words, it was like, well, you're good at this. You can probably manage other people. Well, 
the company I was with was starting to grow and grow and grow. We were having stations in Charlotte and Richmond and Atlanta and Miami and Denver and so on. And the president of the company called me in and said, you have this experience in the military uh, mm -hmm. doing training. We, I think we need this in our company. Could we persuade you to become the training director for this company? And I really jumped at the chance because I remember when I was 25 years old and was mm -hmm. uh, uh, finished with the military, I was sent to Richmond, Virginia to manage a, a news department of an NBC station. Mm -hmm. And I had, Arjun, I had 17 people working for me, 13 of whom were younger, were older than I was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and probably two or three of them thought they were going to get the job. And I guess it was probably, I don't know, six months into the job, I found myself walking into the general manager's office saying, excuse me, Bob, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I really don't. I, I'm at sea here and trying to manage all these people. I want to sign up for some classes. So in Richmond at that time, there were some wonderful adult education classes at Virginia Commonwealth University. And I started taking these classes. And like the naive kid that I was at the time, I remember sitting in the room, listening to a very, very well uh, learned professor giving a presentation. And I'm sitting there with, with this on my face. And I'm thinking, somebody figured this out. <laughs> How to manage people. Somebody figured this out. So I thought back on that so much when he was asking me to do the training job. And I thought, you know what? I'll bet there are about hundreds of people in our company that are thinking the same thing. I would love a chance to share the knowledge I gained with them and, the, and to gather more knowledge to make us a, a really well-managed company. So it was a pleasure. Uh, the other thing is uh, broadcasting people are very lively. They were a great mm -hmm. audience. They were very creative people and they were hungry for this. Mm -hmm. now, I can't tell you how many people came up to me and said, Boy, I've been with this company like 17 years. I'm so glad finally we're getting some of this knowledge. So I, it turned out to be a, a great assignment for me. And it was from that assignment, Arjun, if I can make my own transition here, that I actually ended up at the University of Michigan because one of my old army friends, mm -hmm. his name appeared in a University of Michigan training catalog. And mm -hmm. I was looking for courses outside the company to send our people to. Mm -hmm. I saw his name and I called the university and got in touch with him. And he said, this is perfect timing. We're looking for somebody to join this five-day program I'm working in. And what that led to was 19 years that I flew to Ann Arbor, Michigan once or twice every month and taught business people uh, management skills. It was a wonderful, wonderful assignment for me and a great honor to be with such a fine university. One thing I would go back to what you talked about, Lou, is I see a thread during this conversation all about extra steps. So, so many of us are in an organization, we face these moments when we realize that, what am I doing here? But what we do more is put blankets on us to cover and pretend, and I know everything. Mm -hmm. To me, I really loved that part of your confidence of sharing. It takes weakness when you hide, but it takes confidence when you can share. But what I like more, that extra step that you didn't go to your supervisor to just say, I do not know what I'm doing moment. You created also the extra step by saying, boss, 
local university, this is like you already had a path beyond. So I feel that is so incredibly important that that flip side of that extra step, I think is a big learning for me and all of us in this journey. You talked about, you know, the Michigan, uh, the executive center, PBS, after that you were there. Of course, this is the reason all of us are here today. How did Lou become the world-renowned storyteller? Don't have to be modest. You are not saying it. We all believe. I asked quite a few people. So how did Lou nice. get there? Well, yeah, that's interesting. Um, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, when I was 12 years old, mm -hmm. my dad was a Shriner. You know, he was a member of the Shrine. Mm -hmm. And the Shrine would have um, public, not public programs. They would have programs for their members in the evening sometime. Mm -hmm. And one time my dad came to me and said, I think you would like this speaker we're having. Mm -hmm. Now I knew the man's name. You won't know the name Arjun. His name was Peter Lind Hayes. Back in the days of the early talk shows on television, Peter Lind Hayes was such a great storyteller and raconteur that he was asked to come on these shows just to tell stories. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, let's go see, I'm 12 years old. Let's go see Peter Lind Hayes. So we go into this auditorium, it's totally a black background. There's only one stand, a microphone sitting out there on this stage. And Peter mm -hmm. Lind Hayes walked out and for an hour and a half stood at that microphone and told stories. And even at age 12, I was completely transfixed, mm -hmm. completely amazed at how entertaining and what he could do with his voice. Now remember, I'm dreaming of being on television and I'm watching lots of television. I'm admiring people on television. He's the embodiment of this type of performer. Mm -hmm. So then when I went to the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, majoring in journalism and radio television, the thing I didn't expect was in North Carolina, there is an enormous, enormous mm -hmm. commitment to storytelling. People love to tell stories. They love to sit around a a picnic table on a Sunday afternoon, eating fried chicken and potato salad and baked beans and, and cornbread and have people tell stories. And again, I would go home with friends. I would have friends, parents would come up to the campus and they'd bring a meal and we'd sit there and they would tell stories. And I would just be like this. Oh, that is so wonderful the way they tell those stories. And I think then when I got into the broadcasting business, I realized that the great programs that we love, whether it's a newscast or a, or a documentary, or whether it's a, a, a situation comedy or whatever it is, what are they? They're mm -hmm. just great stories. They're people that tell stories that are fun to hear. And I think what it does is, I think it taps into that something we had as little kids when somebody would tell a story and they tell it with a lot of excitement and a lot of panache. Mm -hmm. And you can remember, I'm sure you can, and I, but I was just over the top about it. And, and again, more than just, um, and I think this is why I was destined to do what I do. It was more than just enjoying the story. Mm -hmm. I know now that I was also sitting there going, what did he just do there? <laughs> what did she just say there that made me sit up in my chair or sit forward? or made me smile? How, what were the techniques they were using? And I think without, you know, without saying to myself, when I went to hear a storyteller, now I'm gonna sit down and 
pay attention to what they do, not just what they say. I think I was automatically doing that. And I think it just became sort of, it got introduced into my DNA. You are taking me back to my growing up days. The first amazing storyteller in my life was my grandmother. And in India growing up, there are days in the evening there would be a power outage. Oh yeah. As a little kid, I looked forward to it because mm -hmm. that means no studying because grandma fell studying with a candle. It's bad for your eyes. It doesn't mean I didn't have to study. The hours were added later. But in the balcony of the, you know, in the back of the house, there was this amazing chair. We call that easy chair. Grandma sat there. I sat her at her feet. Okay. She would just tell me stories. Okay. Amazing learned person. And to me, it was like, exactly those stories really hit home. So in storytelling, I just want to ask you a question, but this question, I have really am proud of myself. Sorry to brag, I prepared very hard for this question. <laughs> no, you always do. Thank you, you're kind. But this one, I'm very proud. You know, what I felt was there are a lot of storytellers on this planet. And part of National Speakers Association, I went to quite a few people who know Lou Heckler. And I asked them, what makes Lou Heckler's storytelling different, unique? The word I heard quite a few times was magical, but magic is something magician never tells how they do it. But then I came up with one phrase, again, it's not mine, adding everybody's is a few words that people define the Lou Heckler way of telling stories. The humor will get you. The storytelling will touch you and the message will change you. Let me repeat one more time because nice. amazing insights from amazing group of people, the humor will get you, the storytelling will touch you, and the message will change you. So Lou, the very fact we all did so much work, we just want to know a few secrets of how you get to this. <laughs> well, first of all, that's really, flattered and, and love what those people said. Well, let's, um, let me define a story by telling you a story. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. All right. If you, if you handed me, Arjun, a, a, a box of pretty beads mm -hmm. and you handed me a little silver or gold chain and said, Lou, would you make me a necklace, please? Mm -hmm. um, I could do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I could, I could string some beads on the, on, the, on the chain. I'm not sure you'd want to wear it. <laughs> I'm not sure how pretty it would be. But if you gave that same box and that same chain to a friend of ours named Anne, who makes beautiful jewelry, she would take it and transform it into something gorgeous. So what's the difference? Anne starts not with the fact that she has a box of beads and a chain, but she says, what do I want this to represent? For whom is this going to be a gift? And so the problem for most people when they tell a story is all they're doing is stringing beads. If you want to make a necklace, there has to be a really central purpose. What do the French call it? A raison d'etre, right? A central theme. Now, my wife, uh, you know, Arjun, and our, our viewers and listeners don't know, is a five times published novelist. And one of the phrases she uses in her books and why her novels have been successful is, she said, and this is her phrase, I credit her. She says, I always start with 
what is the piece of invisible glass that the story is sitting on, okay? That's her version of what is the theme. What's the big idea behind this story? It's not just a series of events. It's what's the theme? What does the story, when told fully, what mm -hmm. will it mean? How will it linger in the minds of the people who are listening? So I think where most people go slightly awry is mm -hmm. they've had something dramatic happen in their life. They've seen something dramatic and they've said, okay, well, I'm just going to tell what happened. What I say is, I just saw something happen. Happen. I just saw these things occur. What does this mean? What does this represent? Or in my case, I say, what's this like? This is my magic phrase for myself. What's this like that I want to talk about? What does this, what could this stand for? Because one of my mentors said to me early on, adults aren't that great at being learning ready, but they're really good at mimicking something. If you tell them a story and say, oh, here's a principle, here's a concept. Now, let me tell you a story of why I know this is true or how I saw this come to fruition. Mm -hmm. They may not remember the real gist, the actual wording of the concept, but they'll remember the story. And they'll go, oh, yeah, this is like when Arjun told me that story about that time in the pizza hut where the man came and he helped us make a pizza, da, 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 and so on. And ah, so they know right away, oh, this is not about making a pizza. This is about having a, an, a, a customer buy in as if he's an employee. Mm -hmm. and, and go and tell his friends. And now what we're doing is we're turning a customer into an evangelist for our company. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the secret to the great stories. They all have a central theme that is undeniably true. And you talked, referred twice about the wife, an amazing human being. Tell us a little bit, introduce her and talk a little bit about her because that one line about what piece of invisible glass the story is sitting on is simply brilliant. And I really think all of us need to know a little more about this amazing human being who has been such a blessing to all of us. Yeah, she, uh, John Allen was, a, <laughs> was an English major in college, you know, and there's all that joke like, what do you do with an English major? Well, can you type? <laughs> but um, she always loved stories also. Mm. And so uh, when our son was very small, uh, she started she wanted to have a career, but wanted to be at home. Mm -hmm. So she started to write poems and things like that and send them out. And a few of them got published. Eventually, as he got older, she had a little more time. She started writing short stories. Mm -hmm. uh, through a friend that I knew in the broadcasting business, she got an entree into the Ladies Home Journal, National Magazine, and eventually wrote uh, nine or 10 stories for them. Mm -hmm. Then she went to a writer's conference and met an agent, met some other people, some other writers, and they said, well, Maybe you could write a novel. And her first answer was, oh my gosh, are you kidding? How could I write a novel? That's what, 100,000 words, you know, 400 pages. And the key was, again, it's one of those people you have to meet. There was this man named Harry Whittington, who was a very well-published author. And he said to her, look, just think of each chapter as one of your short stories. Hmm. So write 12 or 15 or 20 short stories, so, so to speak, and you'll have a book. So that's how she got her first book published, and it went on from there. Uh, so we're fortunate in that we're in related mm -hmm. businesses because mm -hmm. we both like to tell stories. 
Uh, and so we've been able to help each other. She certainly has inspired me. I think I've inspired her in some ways, but I think it's great if you have somebody very close to you mm-hmm. who really sort of gets the, yep. the guts, the inside information, the inside concepts of what you do. That's been a great blessing for me over a whole bunch of years. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. So let me go back to storytelling. Most of us think storytelling is very easy. We sequentially re-narrate, go back to the whole event. So what's one common misconception or myth about storytelling that you would love to debunk for all of us? I think the biggest myth is it's retelling. And it's not retelling, it's reliving. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to tell a story, you have to be in that story once again. And you have to take the audience into that story once again. Let me give you a real quick example. Um, I I could say, I could, in in some part of a story, I could say, um, I was standing next to my desk when Joe walked in. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, my eyes got huge, my knees started to shake, and my palms started to sweat. I didn't know what I would say to him. Okay, or I can retell this, I can relive the story to the audience and say, well, I, you know, I was standing at my desk and uh, <laughs> Joe walked in. Whew, boy. <sighs> what to say? In other words, the second time you're right there, right? You're in, you're standing there. You're feeling nervous with me <laughs> if I'm doing it well. So I think the best stories they come alive for the audience. Now people say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not an actor. I'm not trained at acting. I'm not either. But think about it. If you and I, Arjun, were at one of those little stand-up bars at uh, Bonefish Grill having an adult beverage, and one of us was telling the other a story, what would it be? Wouldn't it be, wouldn't we be doing this and mm-hmm. making gestures and you know, becoming, sort of reliving the story? That's, that's what you can do in front of the room doesn't matter if you're a professional speaker. I'm talking about if you're making a presentation to your board of directors, if you're running the PTA at your local community school, if you are in any place where you have to make a presentation, think about becoming the story rather than simply retelling the story. That's what really separates, I think, the powerful speakers. What was fascinating is this message of do not retell, but relive. I think it's a concept that is easy to understand, but living it, one has to watch this conversation from the very beginning again, because every time Lou talks about a story, for every character, he really brings that character in front. Like as if Lou takes a back seat, that character from John Allen's advisor, who helped her came in front, like each of these people come in. Yes. And there's a, Lou talked about all the secrets, but there's a secret that Lou will not share. And I have the responsibility to bring to it. In front <laughs> is you need to have a huge heart. Okay. So most of you can relate with me that when you go to somebody's house that to in a different city, And when you get to the door, you have this anxiety. I check the number again, and I'm holding my phone by saying, am I at the right house? John Allen and Lou were very kind to invite me to their home. But when I went there, they deprived me 
of that at the door anxiety. On the door was a personal message with my background there. I took a selfie even before I walked in. <laughs> yes, he did. I remember. And then when I went in, in that amazing guest bedroom, they where they had put everything to make me stay my stay comfortable and amazing. With tiny, tiny pictures in frames. They think for a second. One in the industry, in any hospitality, we talk about recognize the guest. Okay? This is not about recognize the guest. This is going beyond to make the guest feel that somebody wants me to make this my home. But that's one of the things I really wanted to also add to Lou is he sees with his big heart and that makes it bigger. So Thank Lou, you very much. Absolutely. It's totally a true story, 100%. And do if you did not follow your career path and became a renowned storyteller, what would you have liked to be in life? Yeah, you you actually emailed me and told me you were going to ask that question, and I thought, oh boy, I wonder what that would be. I, I here's the thing. I don't know that I could give you a very specific answer, but I think I've always known, always known, mm -hmm. that in one fashion or another, I was going to be in front of people using my communication skills. I was, I was that strange little boy when the teacher said, who wants to give their book report first? I'd be like, I do, I do, I do. Who, the principal's coming to visit the classes today. Who wants to tell them what we've been doing? I, I, I would, I would. Who wants, to, who wants to announce at the school assembly? I, I would, I would. I always knew in some way, I didn't know what it would be, I thought, Actually, from the time I was eight, I thought I'd be on television every day. I thought I'd be the next big television network anchor person or something like that. So I probably that that would have been it. But what I realized was mm -hmm. I loved teaching and the army taught me how to teach. I, I went to uh, not only the defense information school, I went to something called the instructor training school. Mm -hmm. And one of the things the army does really well is teach you a trade. And so what I discovered was I had as much fun in front of an audience of 30 people in a classroom mm -hmm. as I was having looking in a camera knowing that there were thousands of people out there watching. And I guess in one fashion or another, I, it's more of a broad answer. I always knew in some way, somehow, I'd be up in front, not in politics, I'm not very, very non-political, but I, somehow, some way, I would always be up in front of audiences and using this DNA that was in me from the beginning saying, I like being up front. I like giving a speech. I don't feel nervous. I feel like this is where I'm supposed to be. It, it reminds me, Arjun, of a young friend of ours who's a very, very accomplished pianist who is a PhD from the Manhattan School of Music. He went to Juilliard and all these other schools. His name is Jimmy. And I asked Jimmy, when did you know you were going to be a pianist the rest of your life. And he said, when I was six, <laughs> six, six. I said, what, what? yeah, why, why did you know that? And listen to this answer. It's a great answer. He said, because the minute my fingers hit the keys, what I felt was this is right. This is right. Now, if you, Arjun, if I, if any of our viewers, listeners, 
can feel that. You're in the right place. You're definitely in the profession where you're supposed to be. And I guess for me, growing up, anytime I was in front of an audience, could be at a little talent show at the Sunday school or anything, it felt right. I'm so glad I asked this question because I have to be honest, I was initially thinking you would give me a trivial answer that I wanted to be A, B, or C. But I really love this, that each one of us need to find that this is right moment. For some of us, it comes at 60. Some of us come a little later, but it comes to us. And when it right. comes to grab and act on it. It's so and the sad thing is it doesn't come to some people. Mm-hmm. Because, or it does come and it goes, yeah. and they don't open the door. Mm-hmm. They're, they're too timid or too daunted or there are lots of other factors involved and they're not able to act on it. I was fortunate. I was able to act on it. Wow. You're listening to Secrets to Win Big with Ardunson and today my VIP guest is Lou Hecker, a business keynote speaker who has traveled the globe entertaining, informing audiences on the business topic for more than 40 years. Lou's also a speaker coach who magically transforms storytellers from yawn to wow. And before this podcast, when I went to quite a few renowned speakers at National Speakers Association and asked them about Lou's difference, what makes him one of one, in our humble opinions, the summary thought is as follows. He's magical. Lou's stories, the humor will get you, the story touches you, and the message changes you. So now, Lou, let's get to this fun section, which is about rapid questions. Three okay. to seven words. All right. I, I can do this, I think. <laughs> you can, and you're amazing. So first, let's go beyond the world of speaking, training, and to a broader, bigger world. And you have seen a lot of business leaders, you know, amazing leaders. What will be your advice to anyone in any walk of life to be successful? Listen naively and act on what you hear. Listen naively and act on what you hear. Love that. How Children do you listen that? naively. Children mm-hmm. listen. You tell a child a story. You go, oh, mm-hmm. I never heard that before. Mm-hmm. As adults, we're not so good at that. We're always mm-hmm. thinking of what our next comment will be. Mm-hmm. Listen naively and then act on it. How do you define a big win? I would say business grows, customers stay. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, Uh, business grows, employees stay, and customers become evangelists for your organization. Creating that wow moment where your customers get into that must tell others. Mm -hmm. What's one big reason businesses you have seen fail to win big? It's one reason and it's one word and it comes from, in my class, my my case, ninth grade science, inertia. Hmm. Inertia, doing the same things over and over again, even when they've not worked and businesses don't know how to change. And I think that is great advice, especially in current times, where inertia of rest or inertia of no change can really hurt any one of us. Yes. Next is most leaders rule out some obstacles from their mind. Top athletes I've worked with 
They have literally taken a dictionary when they were a kid and removed the word no and a few other things from the dictionary. Sure. What's the word not in Lou Heckler's dictionary? I appreciate you sending me this ahead of time because I wanted to look something up about it. The word I came up with was regret. Mm -hmm. I don't like to regret what I've done. I like to move forward. Mm -hmm. And I came across a quotation on this that I really, really liked. I'm sorry, this is not three to seven words. But uh, the American athlete, Jackie Joyner Kersey, now retired, famous for heptathlon and long jump events, said this, it's better to look ahead and prepare than it is to look back and regret. Better to look ahead and prepare than it is to look back and regret. So I don't like to regret. Have I made a bunch of mistakes? Oh my, we could spend the rest of our time together just talking about those, but why would I? Why would I go through that and regret that? Why wouldn't I look ahead and prepare for something great tomorrow? I think, again, I want to go back to my amazing grandma. She always talked about karma being about effort. And she said, all you can do, be your personal best. Like, if you and I run a race, I may do 20-minute miles. If I can do 19 that day, that's all I can do. But I should not worry about you. And that's the part where, as I love that quote, because now that tells us that effort, prepare, is the other side of the coin. If you want it to be no regret, prepare like crazy. Yeah. So Lou, one of the last things is, you know, somebody like you, a career which has gone from every part of the world, okay, over a long period of time, this kind of success doesn't happen randomly. I always found that, find that Success that has a plan and a process, that's the only success can be repeated. So is there a process for Lou Heckler that you're comfortable sharing? Like what's the first thing you do when you start your day, last thing, something about your work day that you want to share? Yeah. My wife and I sat down uh, quite a few years ago after I had been at a conference where a man said, um, the leader of this conference said, what companies are driven by principles? What are your principles? What are the things that you, that drive you every day? Mm-hmm. What, are the, what are the points that you think of when you're trying to make decisions? So she and I sat down and came up with four for our lives. And I in no way wish that everybody else take these four, but I wanna tell you what happened once we did this. These are the four we came up with, love, joy, abundance, peace. Love, joy, abundance, peace. And here's what we said. These will now be the cornerstones of every decision we make henceforth, Mm -hmm. of every opportunity to which we say yes or no, every relationship to which we say yes or no, every decision we make has to qualify all four. Love, Will it be something where we will love it and we can share that love with others? Joy. Even if it's a struggle to get to this, will it still bring us joy when we accomplish it? Abundance. Can we, meaning abundance of heart, as you said earlier, abundance of of caring for others, abundance of asking others to join in, abundance of asking for help, all those things. And then finally, peace. 
So in a, in a very mundane way, Arjun, in the speaking business, an example I give is, if somebody asked me to speak in Hartford, Connecticut, meaning now I live in Florida, in Hartford, Connecticut, and I'll just make up a date on June 10th, and I booked that engagement, and then somebody asked me to speak in Phoenix, Arizona on June 11th, and they had the money I was asking for, I would still say, no, I'm not available on that date. And they'd say, well, do you have something else? And I'd say, well, the day before, I'll be speaking in Hartford, Connecticut. And they'd say, well, that's three hours difference. You could you know, get on a plane there at two o'clock and you'd be out here. It would be two o'clock and you'd be fine for the next day. I said, no, what if the plane doesn't fly? What if there's, mm-hmm. what, you know, what are all the different issues? I don't want my peace to be interrupted. Mm-hmm. And once I did that, once I made that decision, I stopped making decisions for money. I stopped making decisions for convenience. I stopped... I started saying, this has to fold into the lifestyle that, that we mm-hmm. as a couple want to live. Mm-hmm. So my suggestion is, you know, if, if you haven't, if, you, if you're sharing your life with somebody right now, and good for you if you are, because it's a wonderful thing, sit down with that individual and say, what are some of the principles by which we intend to live the rest of our lives? I think if you can do that, even the fact that you just had the conversation will reveal some things about how you think and how you feel and how you act that will be revelatory to everybody. So one thing, Lou, I would add is once both of you figured this out, the figuring part, I think most of us don't get to, but it's still easier than to live this. Okay? And when you live it, this is what it feels like on the other side as a recipient. Okay? I go back to my amazing stay at the Heckler residence. Every small element because of the connection of both of you was never ever. Before I left, I even was tempted to steal one of those towels which I have no clue how you guys make them so fluffy. Oh, you love those towels, I remember. The abundance of food and breakfast, even the quick lunch we had in this cute backyard, how it got set up magically, as if I'm in a Disney movie, boom, it sets up, beautiful background, even you guys got those birds to come in, like it just whole thing becomes magical. And I also feel that I know there's a life lesson you're talking about. I also think there's a business lesson also is that if that purpose is not there, it's not about money or anything, it doesn't work. And once you have it and you live in every element, like to me, anywhere else I go, I'm sorry, I have a lot of amazing people who bless my life, but it's near, never the same as the love I got from John Allen. That's so nice to hear. Thank you. That is so amazing. So, Lou, if you could be in my shoes, what would you have asked yourself that I didn't? Yeah, I guess maybe it would be something like, um, what was one of the hardest decisions you ever had to make? Okay, let me look smart. So, Lou Heckler... (laughs) What was one of the hardest decisions you had to make in life and how did you make it? Wow, I can't believe you asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it was, again, in broad terms, 
it was recognizing that I needed a things not to do list mm -hmm. as well as a things to do list. Wow. Because I had to be clear who I am not mm -hmm. in order to be clear who I am. Mm -hmm. And just in a, in a very simple way, uh, there are a lot of people, and boy, do I admire them in our professional association, who are great after dinner speakers. Mm -hmm. That is not me. Mm -hmm. I hate to do it that I don't have the energy that I have earlier in the day. I, I appreciate the fact that people like to have an alcoholic beverage at night, but sometimes that does cause uh, behavior problems and, and listening problems. So I just, I took a few of those assignments early on in my career because I needed to pay the rent, mm -hmm. uh, but I had to decide, no, that's not what I do. Uh, I had a lot of people say, um, could we work together? Could we do this? Could you do that? Could I? And I made another decision there. I said, no, I'm a solo act. I'm my own business. I've worked from home for 40 years. Mm -hmm. Now think about it. 40 years ago, working from home, people were like, oh, you're not employed, huh? <laughs> but we, my wife and I decided we are not going to put somebody in between us mm -hmm. as far as a, a working associate or whatever. We will become each other's associate. So when her books were doing really well, mm -hmm. uh, I, I dropped back and I didn't get nearly the same number of assignments because I was taking care of her office for her. Mm -hmm. When she was finished writing and I could now launch my career even more fully, she took care of things for me. Mm -hmm. So it was really deciding, uh, again, more about working if you can, not everybody could do this. But if you can work your business around your life and about your principles, and if you can decide not only this is what I do, but this is this is what I'm not going to do. There's not a there's no compromise here. Mm -hmm. I will not do this because, well, for one thing, it, it violates my love, joy, abundance, and peace. But for another thing, it's it doesn't further what I'm trying to accomplish. And my my number one thing to accomplish was be a good husband, be a good dad, now a good granddad. And be available for that, not to be driven by lots of other things that I thought were important when they really weren't. Fascinating. Lou, this is such a fascinating conversation. We could go on for a few more hours, but we have to pause here. And I say pause because the conversation with you always continues. Anything else you want to share before we pause for the day? I, I guess I would just say, um, not only take the word regret if you have them out of your out of your vocabulary, out of your dictionary, but um, just keep looking forward as much as you can, you know, because uh, you can't go back and change anything. And I'm not sure that I would if I could anyhow. So just say, look forward, look for up to love each day, love each customer, love each employee, love each neighbor as much as you can. You know, love each each moment because they are precious moments. I'm at an age mm -hmm. where, whew, especially this year, we have been losing a lot of friends. Mm -hmm. And they've had good lives and now their lives are over. Mm -hmm. And it just, as sad as it is, it's also fuel for me to say, enjoy each and every day because each day is, even in the midst of the COVID virus, each day is a precious moment. Thank you, Lou. First of all, really appreciate you taking time to share from the heart. And also I want to wish you and Donald 
every day of health, happiness going forward. Thank you. Selfishly, because we all need inspiration for you, from you on an ongoing basis. Now, this has been a very fascinating conversation. And I just want to put some of the highlights that hit me. And again, I will listen to it. And I would bet I'll find 500 more, maybe 600. The first thing was, you know, Lou took a traditional concept and took it beyond. You know, you've always, all, all of us have heard the concept that if we don't ask, the answer is no. I've heard that 500 times. But Lou put it in a positive way. He talked about if you want something, ask for it. And that extra step was see what happens. And the see what happens was the energy, as he explained, gets transferred to the other side. And that may be the reason you'll get the job or the opportunity because you may be the person who is showing you want it most. Come on, guys. Who do we give the job? The person who is hungriest. Okay? The second, even though it was a very simple building of story on how Lou Heckler from the army got into training, the thing that impressed me was in any job, do what you're given the best way, excellence, push it forward. Because when people see you do something amazing, opportunities open up. Lou was chosen to train because he was best at doing it. And then Lou takes us to the next iteration by saying, no, 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 guys. The best can do better. Which means he had the courage and the strength and the confidence to walk in and say, I do not know what I'm doing around. And of course, I cannot say that with Lou's level of emotion. I'm just an intern working on these. But Lou created an opportunity, but Lou also had avenues by saying, boss, I can do A, I can be Lou, B, C. And you got the resources and continued to improve, but also learned this amazing statement. He said that the answers are always there. Somebody has already figured it out. It's so easy. If somebody figured it out, it's just like, I don't have to invent what a tomato is. I have to go to a local grocery store, pick up a tomato and come back and tell my wife, honey, I brought the tomato and I get a pat on the back. So it's so easy. Now, moving to storytelling, this is the part where I really feel there were some amazing, amazing nuggets. And that's the part where, you know, I give credit to both Lou and Lou's amazing wife with a huge heart on it. And both together is Lou talked about for any story to start about for whom it will be a gift. Like they are very important. All of us talk about target. Target means like, you know, the logo. But for whom there's a human being and for who it's a gift right away. If it's a gift, I even wash my hands, wear different clothes, but you just, because you just don't take a gift randomly. So that was huge. And what John Lillian's statement was an amazing author, renowned author is piece of invisible glass on which your story is sitting. Without that, we become just narrating a story. The final two ahas, the next one was also about storytelling where Lou just talked about the mistake which so many of us do. It's very easy. There's nothing wrong about getting excited. It's totally okay with your buddies, three of us together to retell. But with an audience is relive. And then you, when you relive the story, actually go back and get your audience dragged into that place. 
The new way of doing is every character, Lou literally, magically, like a sci-fi movie, gets inside that character, brings that character in front of us, but he does that authentically. At no point in the process of maybe 10, 12, 15 characters Lou played today, he overemphasized any of the characters, trivialized any, disrespected any. He brought everything in front of us to present as if I'm watching a live show. And finally, a great piece of wisdom was in life, the right moment comes, whether it was for Lou Heckler at eight, for the pianist he talks about at six years old, all of us get the wake-up call. My grandma reminded me over and over again, when the wake-up call comes, just do one thing, jump out of bed. It's very easy to put your hand to the side and just like figure out, and even with an iPhone accidentally, I can hit the snooze button and gets me eight minutes. She said, trust me, you'll feel better if you get out of bed. And this is the right moment. So Lou, again, thank you. Amazing, amazing conversation. It's been a pleasure, Arjun. And it's, uh, it's a thrill to be a part of this. Thank you very much. Thank you. thank you all for listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen. And this one, I have to tell you, you guys are all envious because I had the best seat in the house. I'm sorry, it's tough being Arjun, but sometimes it's really funny. So please subscribe and share the podcast and review the podcast. It's always a true honor and a gift when any one of you give me any feedback or share. Thank you again and happy listening. And I'm excited to bring to you conversation with another guest from another part of the world, another part of life very soon. Thank you. You've been listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, brand whisperer top brand growth driver, and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. To learn more, visit www.zenmango.com. Share this podcast with your friends and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.